brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. with the DIA, and ever since you came on, people loved that episode, and now you're full-time writing at the site, so it's great to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, last time I was just a soft rep fangirl. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I, I was, but... I was super happy to be able to, you know, bring you on board with uh, with the rest of the crew. You know, it was something I, I wanted to do for a while, and once the opportunity presented itself, we went for it. Yay. I feel good. It makes me feel good. So it's been really good to be part of the team. I was telling Ian earlier, I have now inherited an entire group of brothers, which is nice for me because that's been my entire career. One of only a few women in any environment. So I'm actually super comfortable thank, with that. Thank God you're used to working like that because I shudder to think that I threw you into the shark tank with those goddamn animals. No, I told you the other day that if, <laughs> if there are lines to be crossed, I probably drugged them across the line with me, so it's my fault. If we go down paths, we shouldn't, so it's okay. The bunch of Marines and a uh, couple Army dudes. They're good dudes. And, and some Navy SEALs. I don't have any of those in my, in my, my riding group, though. Yeah, and, we have five. Uh, and Rangers. But, we uh, have I, he's Yeah, he, That's was, true. he was a SEAL. Luke was a ranger, but Luke is a very, like, um, I, I sense, like, stable, sound-minded individual. Is that not normal for rangers? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it's a little abnormal. I, I'm, hey, I'm writing this book right now because I'm trying to break the glass ceiling. Okay. Because there is this myth out there that rangers and 18 bravos cannot write or read. And I'm trying to smash through that gra- glass ceiling. How's that going so far? Write a book. Hey, well, time will tell, won't it? Time will tell. <laughs> It's it's been uh, it's been an interesting experience though. If you were a marine, you'd do a coloring book. We'd, exactly, we'd I, but I, you you wouldn't you'd even eat finish the crayons it. though. Yeah, you'd be eating all the crayons, <laughs> drinking the shampoo. Uh, these bastards. Yeah, I, I, I say that to Kurt all the time, and he's like, "Yo, man, pump your brakes. You're crossing lines now." I don't know. <laughs> it's a he's, sensitive issue. He's just not honest with himself. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Have we checked his crayon box count lately? Some no, it's good snacks. to be on board though. So. What are we going to talk about today? Oh, we have a ton of, t- ton of stuff to talk about. Yeah. Which I was actually just looking on the site today. Your latest piece on softrip.com, which people need to check out, is about the arrest of former CIA officer Jerry Chun Shing Lee, who was working with the American CIA despite like a very Asian name. And <laughs> what oh. the hell does that mean? Yeah. Well, because, no, because <laughs> the story, 
the story is that he was working with the Chinese. His that, name is Jerry uh, Lee. I don't know how that's. No, but you no. My point being, he was working with the Chinese, but was was technically working yes. for the American CIA. So it's not. I don't know. It, it was just interesting that he has a very ethnic. Well, he is. Name. He is Chinese. He's exactly he's naturalized yeah. U.S. Ethnic, citizen. Ethnic, I guess trying to make me look like a, a racist here. You're like shocked. Like they hired an Asian guy. How did this happen? <laughs> No, they only hire people that look like me to do Asian stuff. (laughs) That's actually part of the, that's a big problem, you know, for the U.S. government, of course, is hiring people who have, you know, the right ethnicity. Like, I can't blend in uh, except, like, in Ireland. Otherwise, I'm screwed. And even in Ireland, the second I open my mouth, people are going to know something's wrong. Unless they do, uh, who was, I'm forgetting his name, the guy that we interviewed who uh, uh, was doing work in Africa way back and basically was out there in blackface. Oh, God. Oh, really? Stuff like that has happened, yeah. Um, and Billy Wad writes about it in his uh, in his book. I'm trying to think of who he had on. I can't um, remember off the top of my head. He wrote two books, though, and, and you know, he's South African, has has the accent. We had him oh, on okay. by Skype. Oh, you're talking about Tim Bax, I bet. Yeah, Tim um, Bax was, was like, okay. I, I was out there with, like, you know, blackface. That was the... Like, Al Jolson he was, intelligence? Uh, he was in the Salu Scouts in Rhodesia, and uh, it, not exactly politically correct, but effective. Um, and they would do, use that to get closer to the enemy to close the distance. Um, I'm not sure how legal that is under the Geneva Convention for American troops to do that. And of course, once you get close up, you'd be like, oh, Wait know, a minute. this is a white man. Looks strange. He a little bit like Tropic Thunder. He exactly. actually went into, uh, he, he went into a, a terrorist camp at night. He writes about it in his book, but the, the um, indigenous, you know, uh, actual African, black African was the interface with the terrorists and he, he said, oh yeah, that guy over there, he's, he's mute, he can't talk. <laughs> one way to do it you know there's so you mentioned it's difficult for us to get ethnically correct looking people for sourcing for intelligence but there's two ways you can go with that so there's someone like me that you can teach to speak the language to understand the language but never give away that they speak the language and so you can plant someone like me in a space people tend to think language is encryption a lot of times. Yes. No matter how much we say we're listening, we would see the Chinese just flip dialects when they were doing things. Well, I'll just flip into Cantonese and then it does make it more difficult. Um, It's like two different languages, but um, so you have that, you can go that way or you can get someone ethnically Chinese, but the problem there, not that every Chinese American is a spy, not that, but they do prey on that. They absolutely look for the diaspora and and try and find ways to reel them back in. There's also the issue. I remember this was years ago. Let's just say that the, the CIA had identified someone in America from a country that we were interested in, mm-hmm. a young guy. They were um, training him up in, like, tradecraft and all that good stuff, and they were going to insert him back into his country. Um, but he'd been gone for, like, 10 years at this point. So, yeah. I mean, the question is, like, this guy is cruising around his old hood, or some other hood in Iraq, and people start asking him questions, he's not going to be able to relate to them because he's been removed from the culture for 10 years. Yeah, There's he, that big gap. Where were you? What were you doing? And he's been Americanized. Right. So even his reactions to things are probably not natural in that environment anymore. So we don't know a lot yet. This has been going on for some time. So he is a naturalized U.S. citizen, born in Hong Kong, 
started working for the CIA in 1994. How he's recruited, don't know yet. Um, As an officer, not an agent. Yes, and okay, so let's let's do that for nomenclature for people out yeah. there for a while. Especially in Hollywood, you will see people talk about he's a CIA agent. No, 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 no. CIA, if you are an agent, that means you are a foreigner who's probably a source that we've recruited. CIA, peop- our people are case officers. So it would be a CIA officer. You can be an FBI agent. Right. Different. But it, it's funny, but it, it does get thrown around, oh, he was an agent. But an so, agent means an agent of a foreign power. Like some of the people that, you know, we work with um, or who have written for the site, like Sam Faddis, he was a CIA officer. Mm-hmm. Um, from Antarius, who was a, a, he was a SEAL officer and then made that jump to the agency. He was an actual case officer. Um, James, James Powell was an operations Drew officer. Dwyer. Drew Dwyer was not an, uh, an officer. Contractor. Um, he was right. a contractor. contractor. Yeah. Um, but also, Drew would not, he would not be considered an agent. Right. He would be a, a blue badger. So that's the other thing is there's blue badgers and green badgers. Yep. So, <laughs> yeah, it's important to point that out. But so he was hired at some point as a case officer for the CIA. Right. Whether or not he applied for the job or we found him through some recruiting, that remains to be seen um, because there's a lot of conspiracy theories now about whether he came in with intentions to turn. Right. Was he a double from the very beginning? Yeah, which is, is quite possible. Um, it's totally possible. So ultimately what happened is 2010 we start seeing sources dropping left and right, either jailed, executed in China, I think almost 20. Right. That was reported in the New York Times. Yes. Like they, were dis- they were getting disappeared. Right. <laughs> getting disappeared. <laughs> so a mole hunt ensues, if you will. FBI puts a task force together, and somehow roads lead to Jerry Lee. At this point, he has left government service, though, 2007. I think it was. He was out of government service. So they lure him back a couple of times. That's not clear in the affidavit how they right. lured him back. <laughs> but we do know in 2012 they lured him back with a job offer. He actually made the trip to the United States, went through Hawaii, came to D.C., was on the Virginia side of the Beltway. And in both places they were able to go into his hotel rooms. And they found written, handwritten notes um, Notebooks. And, and when you say go into the hotel rooms, these would be counterintelligence people. Yes. Yeah, in a surreptitious manner yes. going in there and searching when he's not around. Yeah. Yeah, right. Right. So checking his room. Why they didn't arrest him at the time, I don't know. And if I do know, I can't say, but I don't, I don't know for today's purposes. So he wasn't arrested at that time. And it's now taken six years since that point, almost six years. To build the case against him. To build some kind of a case. But the interesting part is the only thing they've thrown at him is unlawful retention of classified information. Basically what Clinton did. And there's probably a lot more that's not been released yet. Yes. Um, You know, and I don't know what your experience is, but I mean, from what I've been told, when these types of cases go in front of the judge, like he, the judge expects DOJ to have had their shit together, like frontwards and back. Like it's all, the initial hearing is almost like a formality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes, because if you, if you look back through espionage cases, almost no one has ever been tried on true espionage charges. We always get them on lying to a federal agent right, or something right. like that. It's really difficult to like, make an espionage star- who, charge who, stick. Who were the ones that, that really went down for espionage and treason? Was Ames? Aldrich Ames on the CIA side and Robert Hansen 
on. Because we were able to get them because we caught them red-handed yes. selling information to yes. the Russians, right? Yeah, Ames was a piece of work. Ames is responsible for the death of several of our of our officers and also our sources. I, I believe it's Ames that's responsible for the CIA station chief that was killed in Greece. Uh, I might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure he was what assassinated. Year, what year was that? It was in the 90s. No, you're talking about the, the British MI6 station chief. I thought it was in Greece. It was in our Greece. guy. But this was like during the, the ramp up to the Kosovo campaign in 99? Yeah, so Ames gave away... So these guys live in cover identities, but he gave away true name of, of mm-hmm. many of ours. So not just the agents, the sources of... like For him, it was a lot of Russian sources that were working for us, but also the U.S. case officers that were working. He gave those away. So that was Ames on the CIA side, and he was a drunk and had gambling debts, and so... Not only did he have ego as his motivation, but he had monetary issues. I think he was paid a couple million dollars by the time everything was said and done by the Russians. And I mean, what we make, uh, I mean, what do you make of the evidence that we do know that has been released about Lee? I mean, it seems, I, I can tell you, my, like personally, I'm not, I've never worked for the CIA. I'll tell you as a journalist and where I have to keep okay. sources confidential, I would never have a fucking notebook full of names right. like that. Right. But we've <laughs> seen the Chinese do that a couple of times. Um, oh, my God. Now the name escapes me. We had one that we arrested out in California that worked on aerospace technology. It'll come to me before this day's over. But also written notes. We found that a few times that they like to take written notes. I'm starting to wonder if it's that's... It's sloppy tradecraft. It's really sloppy tradecraft, especially given the opportunities we have for high-quality tradecraft now. But maybe he's just old school. And, you know, my mom always told me never write anything down. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> didn't want yeah. anybody to know. But maybe that's what they trust because we've seen so much encryption broken. Uh, maybe he just they trusted trust pen and pencil. Pen and pencil on his person, and uh, I my assumption would be he never thought anyone was on to him, or he wouldn't have brought that back with him stateside. Right. But that tells you why did he have it on his person stateside as to well. hand off to somebody. So if you think about it, he'd been out of government service since 2007. I assume he probably moved back to Hong Kong sometime not long after that. So it's almost five years. And he's still bringing that back with him. So was he meeting someone here? Was he going to hand that off to someone here? Don't know. So that's one of the questions that comes and to There mind. have long been rumors within the CIA that there was, you know, high-level moles. But you yeah. never know what to make of that. I mean, it, it, spies are naturally a little paranoid, right? So, I mean, those, rumor, those rumors always kind of exist. But then when you have all those assets, those agents disappearing... In China, it makes you wonder, well, what the hell is going on here? Yeah, and they were really well-placed sources, from my understanding. And so when you lose 20 people, that's... Yeah, it tells you your network is compromised. To use some baseball analogies, they're in some rebuilding years, or just the sports. <laughs> the CIA is definitely... Between that and Snowden, if you look at what yeah. we lost on the China target... Everything, uh, we're in, just about. Yeah, we're in some serious rebuilding years. And so... Um, not bringing politics into it at all, but you look at the environment, how people are feeling about our intelligence community as it is. So now the paranoia has to be ramped up to a really high level. So I feel bad for the people in my old positions who are working that target because that's a lot of time and energy, not to mention real people's lives. And the, the other side of it, too, is um, for our, our adversaries, I mean, for China, um, you know, for sure, um, for the Russians, 
I mean, it's advantageous for them to have our intelligence community, well, first off, be unpopular with the American public. Yes. Second, for them to be wrapped up internally in internal counterintelligence investigations. That means you're focused within. You're not out there doing your job. No. Focused as much. It's a, just a question of dividing your focus. And that takes a tremendous amount of manpower. It's, uh, and look what we're talking about, six years. It took them six years to bring a charge. So from the case officer manpower on the CI side and on the positive side and on the legal side, I mean, that's a lot of time and effort and attention taken away. And there must have been some dudes up at the or and and women also up at the seventh Maybe. floor in Langley, like be, beating beads of sweat yeah. off their forehead as all of this is going on. Like holy shit! Yeah, they're saying this is the worst one since Ames and Hanson, and we didn't talk about Hanson in any detail. The biggest issue with Hanson, why he's such a problem, and there's a few movies out there about him. Yeah, he was a counterintelligence guy, right? So that's the epitome of who watches the Watcher. Well, wasn't uh, was it Kim Philby who set up? American counterintelligence with uh, uh, Angleton? Yes. James yes. Jesus Angleton. And Philby yeah. was a defector, wasn't he? Philby, yes. He's, he was a British. He was an MI6 guy. So, I mean, it's like the, the, the kind of backbone of counterintelligence has had this sort of nefarious influence in yeah. it from the very beginning. Well, and that's something we talk about on the inside, who watches The Watcher. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the, if, you're, if you're the adversary and you're going to place somebody, that's the best place to put them right. as in counterintelligence. Because they can run top cover for all of your agents and different agencies. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly. So we are a we are a prime source of recruitment. It's also why the CI person in the room nobody ever wants to talk to because you you can't win. <laughs> you can't win. I used to go out to exercises in Hawaii and be the only CI person in the room, and you'd be going on, "Hi, I'm Ian. I'm with blah blah blah, and I'm Jack, and Danielle, and with the counterintelligence." Yeah, <laughs> nobody invites you out for dinner. Yeah, that. there's a uh, there's an office. Uh, how to phrase this? There, let's just say in, in Army Special Operations, there's an office, and they run um, kind of like aggressor op four counterintelligence stuff against special forces exercises. And one of them was telling me stories about all the nasty stuff they would do to things like go and break into the colonel's hotel room, lift fingerprints off stuff, and then transpose them onto like a mock murder scene. Oh, God. And, and, yeah. and basically, for the purposes of the exercise, show them like, hey, you're trying to do unconventional warfare overseas. This is how your adversaries could be sabotaging your efforts. And like one, this guy was telling me how they um, took a bunch of pack clerks, and these are just so pack clerks are just regular admin paperwork guys. Okay. Um, gave them like a day's worth of tradecraft training, just really basic stuff. Okay. Sent them down um, to one of these big unconventional warfare exercises. Um, what was the one down in Texas that uh, that Alex Jones is all oh, uh, about? Jade Helm. Jade Helm. Yeah. Sent sent guys down. Uh, sent these guys down to Jade Helm. To just go and feel things out. And, and they'd go into like McDonald's and stuff like that when the SF guys were down there and just listen. Just listen to what they were talking. And they built out the entire table of organization yeah. for this this unconventional warfare task force just by doing that. That yeah. happens a lot. So I did that for some of the exercises in PACOM. On, that was sort of the directive is on your way out in the airport, in the airport bar, in the hotel. Just see what you can pick up. And that's the reason they hate the CI person mm-hmm. who's doing their job because on day one, I'm reporting, hey, you, I know X, Y, and Z about your mission. What? How do you? Because I was sitting behind you in line while you're having a beer. Why are you talking about this stuff? I remember not only was it uh, 
like as you were saying, the Alex Jones people went crazy over Jade Home. The the crazy thing about that was that even the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, was like entertaining yeah. these conspiracy theories. Yeah, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, guys. Yeah, and if and if you look back on SoftRep.com, we reported on all that when it was going yeah. on and uh, shot down all those conspiracies. And now you could look back, and there was no. Nothing nefarious with Jade Helm. The, the coup did thing. not happen. Well, you talked no about FEMA that, camps. That you were, did you say you were yeah, a part of Jack, Robin yeah. Sage, which was similar? Robin Sage is different. That's the cumulative exercise at the end of the Q course. Got it. Okay. And uh, that takes place in um, you know rural North Carolina and what's a, a fictional country called Pineland. But that's um, kind of what they were doing with Jade Helm, right? Sort of the same sort of idea. It's a it's a large scale unconventional warfare exercise, and yeah. probably I'm sure um, the one in Robin Sage is one is run for Q course students, and I'm sure what they're doing for um, for these guys, uh, the actual ODAs, it's probably getting a little bit more advanced. It's probably targeting specific countries, mm, specific yeah. mission sets. Yeah. Um, so you're probably getting, you're drilling down into the nitty gritty, I, I suspect, with some of those training exercises. You know, so to bring that full circle, though, one of the things I said in the article about Lee was that as great as machine sources are, as all the cyber collection, the SIGINT that we do, human sources are still the bread and butter, and that's why, because they're the weakest target. Strongest and weakest. You can They're bet. the weak link. They are the weak link. People are the weak link. It's true. You can get people to talk about anything. It doesn't take much. Um, so corporate, that, that's the same in corporate America. If you really want information, just find out where you know, the admin or the accountants or, or those people sit and just sit and listen and you will learn everything you need to know. Yeah. I mean, if you go just cruising around uh, Fayetteville outside Fort Bragg and just listen to what people are saying in coffee shops and stuff, oh my God, yeah. like talking about stuff. And a lot of it is just privates making stuff up, thankfully. Yeah. Um, but within that, there's also people talking about some things that probably shouldn't be talked about publicly. It's a really good idea for a disinformation campaign, though. Oh, yeah, Send yeah, absolutely. And people are probably going to be like, Jack Murphy, why are you talking about this? And it's like, listen, the bad guys know. <laughs> They're already there. Everybody knows. <laughs> so The question is, why are you guys talking about yeah. the stuff that you're talking about? Um, yeah. But what do you see coming out of this whole thing with Lee? I mean, he's obviously facing, uh, you know, federal pound you in the ass prison time now. <laughs> Let's hope so. Um, what do I see? What do you mean? What do I see coming out? I mean, what, what, do you, what, do you, yeah, what do you think it's going to mean for the intelligence community? I think whatever it means is already underway mm-hmm. um, because it's a long time coming. I said they're in the rebuilding phase, so hopefully they have been. Vetting internally has always been a problem. Um, I mean, I'll be the first one to tell you that, look, we know I'm... I'm always taking it down this political road again, but there's a lot of issues about vetting people based, based on ethnicity, but that mm-hmm. was a problem that we ran into because you want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Right. This is our Chinese-American source, and he can't possibly be turned, but you have to think about the connections that they have. I'll give you an example. We had we had a case. I think I can talk. I'm trying to find ways to talk about this one. A guy that self-reported that he had been approached Okay, great. That's what we want. Self-reporting. Six months later, we were putting him to bed on espionage charges. Wow. What happened in, in the interim, we find out, is they, they found a way to get to him through his family back in China. Holy shit. Right? And so, I mean, he was a good American, you know. He, yeah, and they he did corrupted what he was him. supposed to do, and they corrupted him because they, they found the weak link and they used it against him. So even people with the best intentions. So I guess 
what I'm getting, I don't know how much will change. We keep going through this cycle, though. Of, and we talked. We talked about before how that the uh, the racism meme is something that the Chinese know they can use against us because we're culturally sensitive about they it. They tell us. They tell their people to use it. And they they would never. I mean, the Chinese intelligence services would never hire a bunch of American expats or naturalized Americans. Never. Like that would never ever happen. And they don't have to deal with that same. I mean, I hate to say political correctness because, I mean, racism is obviously a horrible thing wherever it is, but they don't have to deal with that kind of bleed off, that cultural mentality that we have in America. Meanwhile, we're kind of hamstrung by that in in the sense that we we have that sensitivity. We are, and you're right. From an espionage point of view. There's nobody that looks like us working for the Ministry of State Security at China. (laughs) And and that would never happen. It's never going to happen. They wouldn't allow it to happen, and it's okay. They can do that. But at the same time, they'll, they'll call us racists. Yeah. But they can, they can, they're, they're engaged in this, uh, this sort of countrywide hegemonic project to harmonize their entire population right. into one with Tibet and Xinjiang and, <laughs> yes. uh, and make everyone, you know, Han Chinese is the master same. race, the- but we're the racists. Yes. You could argue that they're engaged in a countrywide eugenics project that involves everything from the one child policy to all kinds of other crazy shit. It's true, but they use our, our guilt against us. Yeah. We talked about this last time, the shame versus guilt culture. It's yeah. the same thing. We have this Western Judeo-Christian guilt thing that they just don't have to deal with. So, and, and you and I had a discussion recently about some of our non-American brethren are the most racist people on the planet. Oh, right? yeah. They just don't. They don't feel the need to, to wear the, the badge of shame about it. They just own it. Yeah, and I mean, people will say, well, it's easy for you to say this as a white dude. But, I mean, I, I'd encourage you to talk to um, minority Americans uh, who have traveled abroad. Yeah. And, you know, about racism in America versus racism in, say, Europe or many other places. They're like, people are racist as fuck. <laughs> so yeah. many of these it's places. <laughs> and America has problems, too. But I, 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 in my opinion, not nearly as bad as uh, other we talk about our problems. Yeah, we're pretty open about you know how we have racism in America. I'll give you an example. This is actually a really funny story. Um, when I was sitting around with um, Iraqis uh, that I was training in northern Iraq, this is around 2009, and they'd say to me, they'd be like, Jack you have a real problem with the, the gays in America. Like, there's a lot of gay people in America. You have a real problem with them. He's like, well, you know, we don't have them here. Because we kill them. That's, <laughs> that's how that works. But it's just incredible. There's like, well, we don't, we don't have them. It, it's just a total tone deafness that, you know, that doesn't exist. Wow. And yet, you know, all the guys I know who have been stationed over in the Middle East, which I'm sure you can, uh, you know, reciprocate the same comments is, is that there's a lot of like behind the scenes gay it's sex huge. that happens. It's huge. Yeah. And yet, you know, it's forbidden. And they, they don't consider, they don't identify as homosexual. That's one thing that's interesting about it, even though, you know, man love Thursday and all of that. Um, man and boy love and yeah. goat, goat love too. In, in Afghanistan, absolutely. Um, and in, in Iraq also. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of man on man action going yeah. on. So. But they just don't identify. And so if, if you don't talk about it, it doesn't happen. I, I think that's part of it. It's having like a two-tiered personality, and they're, I think they're more comfortable with that. In America, we have different ideas about identity. Don't they call that being on the DL? <laughs> on the DL. <laughs> yeah. That's what the kids are calling it, Danielle. 
Yeah, I'm in. It's probably not even that anymore. But. Did I? Go ahead, sorry. No, I was just going to reset once again for the people watching the live stream. Danielle Bizier in studio, who's one of our newest writers, um, was great on the podcast last time, so we brought her back in studio, came all the way out from D.C., which we appreciate, uh, former counterintelligence officer and instructor with the DIA. Um, I know you also wanted to get into Korea, so let's get into that. And also, uh, if you guys have any questions, I know you like us being interactive and asking stuff, so um, I'll try to get to those at the end. Please. Be sure to like this, share it. Um, But yeah, anything that you wanted to talk about involving the craziness with North Korea and South Korea right now, especially with just being a couple weeks away from the Winter Olympics in South Korea at the the height of, of craziness going on throughout the world in that region. Have we heard yet? Are they actually fielding the women's hockey team together? The I don't south know. and the north? I don't know. That was the latest PR stunt. Is we're going to put a female really female Korean hockey. <laughs> That's the way to go. I can't wait. Yeah. So I yeah, I, I did a piece on on Dear Leaders Cheerleaders, which that was pretty good. Good, good title. <laughs> Thank you. Why? Well, I, I thought that was pretty good. But so they're sending a 200 plus women cheerleading yeah. squad with their two Olympic athletes that qualified. I don't even know how they're going to field a hockey team because with just two athletes. Well, they have a pair of figure skaters, a man and a woman who are going. So I'm not. But anyway, it's fine. Um, I truly believe it's a PR stunt. I mean, that's that's what Kim does. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll tell you we're going to behave during this time. It just gives them six more weeks, because this was a couple weeks ago, they sat down with the South, to continue working on our program. They're never going to stop working on their nuclear program. And where, you know, we get into, oh, it's it's Trump's fault, he's, he's ratcheted up the tensions. I don't think it's that. I, I will say, though, that where Kim used to feel, or at least his dad and his grandfather used to feel like keeping South Korea hostage with the threat of nuclear attack was enough, now it's keeping the United States hostage as well, because now he has capability to reach our shores. Um, everyone in the intel community pretty much agrees we're within six months, probably, of, I, of true, full ICBM capability. But right now they could hit us with an, an impulse and... That would they could probably hit Hawaii. Yeah, so let's talk about that false alarm in Hawaii. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, so because I was a China hand, I did a lot of my time out in Paycom. Yeah, it's, it was a tough slog twice a year. I, I get bet. to go to Hawaii. Yeah, it's I know. Rough. Yeah, the guys who had to go to CENTCOM all the time. That's not mm-hmm. fair. You chose the wrong target set. That's all I'm saying. I didn't choose. The army chose for me. Well, true. True. So. Anyway, I used to go to Hawaii a lot. So I have a lot of friends that are still stationed there, and I start seeing my Facebook feed blow up with, did, it, did anybody else get this alert? And I'm like, what the hell is this? And so sure enough, all of Hawaii gets this false alarm. But then I don't know if you guys saw a couple days later, they get the same false alarm in Japan. That I did not see yet. Yeah. yeah. So the riders, we all started talking about, this sounds an awful lot like some phase zero info ops. Right. They're trying to desensitize, test the systems. Desensitize, cause panic, ratchet up the tensions on the peninsula. Just like, oh, look, look, it could happen. It was scary for people. Well, who's able to make these alerts happen? Is it is it Apple or is it the no, government? No, no, no. I mean, so in Hawaii, it was the state of Hawaii emergency system. Doesn't mean that person wasn't co-opted. I don't know anything about him. I'm not well, going to throw that out there. Did you see yesterday an article came out about how in that office... There were pictures published from inside that office where they had the little post-it note on the screen with the password. <laughs> yeah. 
So great opsec. I'm right gonna there. guess that their yeah their information security was not that strong. Yeah, the one in Japan was not the government, but it was the government in that it was a TV station, I believe. But like the BBC was actually owned by the government, so I mean there's still a government connection. But it, I was waiting to see if another one would come out in the South. Would there be a false alarm? But yeah, either desensitization. And that follows up on that uh, that fake memo also that was distributed yeah. to American families. Like I'd have to go back, maybe you can look it up, but it was telling them that they're like time to evacuate the peninsula. Like yeah, you <laughs> yeah, but it it begs the question: What is the plan if that happens? Oh yeah. If there had been an incoming ICBM to Hawaii, that's it. And so I talked to some of my friends that are out there. Like you know, I started writing letters. I started thinking to myself, and did you do them on the computer? Because if you're actually writing them, where are they going? <laughs> <laughs> Is this, uh, is this what you're referring to, Jack? Uh, U.S. family yes. defense personnel in South Korea told right. to evacuate and, country and fake tech scare. And yeah. what what Danielle is referencing, I mean, it sounds like what it, what the military would refer to as operational preparation of the environment. Yep. Yeah, and um, it says U.S. forces Korea, quote, did not send this message. Defense officials wrote in a follow-up Facebook post, anyone receiving this false message should not click any links or open any, any attachments included in the correspondence. So things like that, all these false alarms, it's kind of like you're testing us, you're testing our systems to see how fast we'll react, what will we mm-hmm. do, what are our countermeasures, do you see troops moving to respond, do you see ships moving, like what, what, are, what, are, we going, what are we doing? It's like firing a test shot, basically, so that you know how to counteract us when something really pops off. Yeah, and I don't know that we did well. <laughs> No, it doesn't seem so. No, no, no especially. <laughs> I need to find this picture with the, the post-it notes. Yeah, yeah. I think it was on, uh, on like, Business Insider yesterday. But that's really – but that also goes to the question, who makes the official alarm? And so that's how everybody in Hawaii started to realize, at least people that had some savvy to this, that 38 minutes later, they finally got a, a stand down. But it wasn't from the same text alert system. It was actually the news. So for Hawaii, they get a text on the phone from the official system. The official system never even sent out a, a, a retraction. So it was... Yeah, it was up for what? Like 48 minutes or 30, something? 38 minutes 38, before okay. people started finding out. And by then, and they, there's video of people running in the streets with their kids because why wouldn't you believe that that's true? Every person... You see everyone, beep, beep, you know, like at the same time on their phone, so something's up. So trying to find underground shelter, it was it was really bad. But I wonder, like, what the worst consequences are that we haven't seen. Like, did anyone get a heart attack just hearing this news? You know what I mean? Just Maybe. things like that. Maybe. I mean, that's possible. But, yeah, you're right. So I think they're prepping the environment. Somebody... Somebody is. Somebody is. And it doesn't have to be necessarily North Korea. No, it could be the Russians. That sounds like something trolling they would do. It sounds like something the Chinese would do to prep for Taiwan, actually. Well, that's true, but I, I feel like Putin was bored. <laughs> like, let's see what we can make happen He's getting today. bored with Snowden. Needs something else. Yeah, he's bored with old Ed. I miss Ed. Everyone does. Ed misses Ed. He's lonely Ed up there in fucking Siberia. Did you see, wasn't there, didn't he release some app to help with your security recently? Yes. What Jesus was that? Christ. <laughs> I didn't click on it. I was afraid. Between that and yeah. Chelsea Manning running for Senate, I, I've, I've almost had enough. <laughs> well, we, I, I'm, I'm reaching the tipping point. I think we're past the tipping point. Uh, yeah, Chelsea Manning, That's uh, that's been one for the news. Hell yeah, we got this. <clears throat> Who apparently lives around or has a place around here. 
Yeah. But yeah. running in my state where yeah. I currently live. Thank you very much. And that, well, that, that was uh, that's the same district that Sam Faddis was yes, running in. Yes. I begged Sam, please, please get back. I in the sent race. him an email. I was like, Sam, we need you, bud. Would it be time to take a hit for the team? Happen though. I mean, the DC area is so incredibly liberal. Like the well, the, the voters problem, are what like 80, 90 something percent the, the, Democrats. Well, she's right? gonna she's, she's gotta beat Ben Cardin. First. Yeah, she's it's, gonna run into the same problem that Faddis did. Was that he's been in that position for like forty years? Or oh something. yeah, then you're it's. Well, like a Chuck Schumer situation. We're well, never we're never be, having a different senator. She'd have to be Cardin for the Democratic slot anyway, which right. is unlikely. Of course. But He's like the senior senator for the party. But can you imagine if they pulled out the old white male privilege on him and like, why won't you let Chelsea have your spot? Like, I, you would, I would not be surprised if they did that. It, it's time for a <laughs> woman to a break to, that glass ceiling. Right? Even if that woman has balls. It has to be interesting living there. She doesn't though, right? anymore, does she? I, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I have not made inquiries. I was just saying it has to be interesting living there, though, because even though, you know, as liberal as people say New York is... There's definitely pockets that are not oh, liberal. The, the D.C. area. The Beltway is, is probably some of the most liberal you'll, you'll find in the country. But, but it's literally, I believe, because I've looked at numbers before and it's been a while, I think it's like between 80 and 90 percent registered Democrats. Yeah, Northern Virginia and, the, and Maryland is definitely a blue state. Virginia is a swing state. Mm, purple leaning way more blue recently, although it did. No, it didn't go for Trump, did it? Northern Virginia didn't. Don't ask me. I do not know. Can't remember. <laughs> I saw the county. I saw the county. There, there are plenty of people who are not liberal in Virginia, but they mostly live in the southern part. Maryland is is fairly liberal. So to just to wind things back to North Korea, because there were a couple yeah. things I yes. wanted to mention on that. The important stuff. Um, <laughs> well, one was this isn't the first time the Olympics have been hosted in South Korea. Last time was 1988, mm-hmm. and there was a big issue, a big fear that the North Koreans would send terror cells and things like that into the South and just wreak havoc. Yeah. Um, and that was why U.S. Special Forces and uh, there were some Delta operators involved stood up uh, South Korean counterterrorism units and did a lot of work getting ready to prepare for that threat. Are we doing that again? Um, we have maintained a persistent presence, um, you know, and I, I wrote a long article on SoftRep, which everyone can go read now that the paywall's down, uh, oh, right. about Special Forces Detachment K, Detachment oh, Korea. Right. Yeah, yeah. So there's been a long-term persistent engagement between U.S. Special Forces and Korean Special Forces, mm-hmm. um, and in a time of war, they would come together in a joint unconventional warfare task force, and there's all kinds of battle plans for that. Um, So I have no doubt that they're doing the preparatory work in the run-up to the Olympics. I'm sure they are. I'm sure there's a lot of intelligence work going on on the peninsula. They're being kept very busy. I I don't know. I don't think he's crazy. Everybody throws that out there. He's not not certifiably insane. No. It's not that, but it's just, you know, we should talk about you mentioned to me yesterday no one ever talks about north korea who really whose fault is north korea yeah everyone thinks uh, well as americans we're obsessed with america and we think it's our fault yeah er, we think everything that happens in the world if you know if a if a bot fly farts in brazil it's america's uh, fault um and and there are things that america has tremendous influence around the world and we do all kinds of stupid things and make mistakes um but a lot of things that happen locally Involve locals. 
<laughs> local situations, and it's not all about America all of the time. That's true. Um, so I, I think it's funny how like we kind of turn on ourselves. We're like, oh, North Korea is America's fault. Um, I see all this reporting that uh, that North Korea has heavily invested in nuclear because they see America removing dictators like Saddam Hussein, uh, Gaddafi, people who, if they had nuclear weapons, would not have been removed. It's like, okay, yeah, that's one factor that plays into it, sure. And that's something we should think about in terms of American foreign policy. But you can't disprove the negative, though, either. Right. So he, was, he, was, he was a fucking dictatorial communist tyrant before any of that. North Korea right. was a communist regime, a criminal regime, yes. before any of that. Yes. I mean, they, they're, they're murderous of their own people, which is very typical of communism. People don't like to. And this whole thing started in 1945, right after World War II. Mm-hmm. And the people who propped up North Korea was the USSR and China. Red China. Yeah. And that continues to this day. The USSR obviously collapsed, but Russia and China continue to support North Korea. It's the only reason North Korea is still trucking along. Is so why the hell is this all America's fault? Because everything's our fault. <laughs> I read. I We're read. The great I read an article in the Intercept. We're evil. Our favorite news outlet, the Intercept, <laughs> had this article in there that was so surreal. It was saying that the reason why North Korea remains so antagonistic towards the West is because we dropped too many bombs on them during the Korean War. Like, are you fucking kidding me? We killed a bunch of communists during the Korean War, and, and you're saying that what happened today—that that all of this uh, antagonism is because of the Korean War. I mean, yes, the Korean War left a profound impact on the Korean Peninsula. No question about that. Yeah. But is this really why Kim Jong-un is stirring up all this shit with us today because of the Korean War? Because he's like, oh, my people were bombed by Americans. No, that he doesn't give a shit about them. No, that's Kim Jong-Cartman, by the way. <laughs> he looks just like him. It's the same, <laughs> same round head. No, but if you asked any of the Koreans who are subject to Juche ideology, they'll tell you the same. Everything is the great Satan's fault. Because they have to, yeah. He knows better he, because he gets to travel and build up his Hennessy collection. And, and you know, I, was, uh, I was in Korea, um, what, like six, no, more than six months ago at this point. And uh, it was interesting to talk to people there. I mean, I met with people in the U.S. military, but I also met with, obviously, civilians, uh, South Korean civilians. And, like, there's this big divide because, uh, you know, if you think in generations past, there are people who have these memories of when the Korean Peninsula was united. Right. Um, These memories of when they were one country and memories, of course, of Japanese colonialism, Mm -hmm. uh, all these sorts of things. But now we have a younger generation in South Korea who have no memory whatsoever of a united Korea. And those relatives don't. They're, they're not as relevant to them. Like the older generation, right. they remember brothers and sisters and cousins that are on the other side. But And South Korea has been prosperous. They've yeah. done very well for themselves. So if you're a, a college student, young kid in South Korea, is uniting the Korean Peninsula your priority? No. It's prob- probably on the list of political issues you have. That's probably like way down there somewhere. You want to talk about a refugee crisis? That would be a refugee crisis. Yeah, it would be horrendous. Right, because not only the starvation, but just the lack of understanding of basic modern culture. I was going to say Western, but modern culture. Imagine the amount of trauma that those people have suffered under since 1945. Even, Even before, because they suffered greatly under Japanese colonialism as well. 
since then to today. Yeah. Under <laughs> it's been worse by their own by yeah. their own people. And you know, we talked about the cheerleaders before. They'll come out well fed. They're the few North the, Koreans. The elite, yeah. yeah, they're the elite who actually get two chickens a week instead of just one. You know, whatever. Nobody's as well fed as, as Cartman is, but um, but I remember crazy fat kid as McCain <laughs> says. I remember a guy that worked at, at Dead K did some uh, surreptitious work across the border. Talking about, you know, you, you get out into the fields and you see these guys that look like potatoes on, on toothpicks, is what he called them, because they're so bloated from being malnourished and then on these spindly little legs, you know, trying to... It, it could be 300 years ago, nothing's changed in the way they're doing their right, work. Right. And so can you imagine the flood of those people across the border who have never seen a television, couldn't possibly understand well, I, how I this works? I feel like we may have talked about this on, on the podcast once before, but... In my conversations with people um, over there, they were telling me that things have changed uh, over the last, say, 10 years. Yeah. In that what's happening is that the uh, South Korean, or I'm sorry, the North Korean people, the just regular farmers and things like that, what they're doing is they're um, engaged in um, black market trade across the Chinese border, yeah. including selling marijuana. <laughs> and, uh, and sometimes what they're getting as payment includes um, smuggled DVDs. So informa- they're getting information. So what they're doing is when, the, when, you know, at the end of the night, they're, you know, bunkering down inside their house. And they're playing. Um, they're um, actually big fans of South Korean soap operas, and they're. So that's what they think the real world is like. Well, they're, what they're through that they're learning how life kind of is yeah. in South Korea, and that there's this this myth that this the, the myth in North Korea is that the South has it really bad. They're the oh, ones who have really suffered. They think the entire right. world has it worse off than they do. So. They're watching these these DVDs and these soap operas, and they're coming to learn. They they can relate to it a little bit because they're like these are the Korean people. Yeah. But at the same time, they're seeing how radically different their lives are. In we the did South. talk about this because I mentioned that the Russian defector that I talked to said that that's yeah. part of what prompted him to defect is flying into the United States for the first time and seeing all of the swimming pools. It's like, wait a minute, what the fuck? <laughs> you guys have been telling us that, you know, we in Russia standing in lines, you know, for bread. This And, and he was elite. It was GRU. But wait a minute, they all have pools? Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is... Well, that's why I think, you know, we should trust uh, our culture a little bit more than we do. You know, we, but all this like beating up on ourselves, and it's good to have self criticism. But I think we take it over the line and beat our, beat ourselves up and attack each other way more yeah. than we should. We should have a little bit more trust in America and in the American system. Um, just like I think the South Koreans can trust in the South, their system yeah. and their culture. Agreed. That you know they they really do, and they have formed a better way of life for themselves. They, they, they have this better alternative than the communist system that exists in the North. But, but we're addicted to being outraged here in America. No. <laughs> no, we are not. I don't think you're going to be able to tell people to stop being outraged over every little thing here. Oh, yeah. I know they're not going to. Politicizing everything. Well, it's what I, I was I was actually saying this yesterday. Uh, we, we Yeah, no one's going to listen to what I'm saying. But <laughs> my, my triple blonde espresso was not smooth enough this morning. There, That's all I mean. It, it, How is that, that by the way? I'm, really I'm a Starbucks fan. That's like a it's like, like a it. generational issue and our generation isn't going to be able to deal with that, but I think like say like my kids and your kids, I think they're the ones like the the millennials are really going to feel the brunt of it. They're going to end up yeah. in mental institutions because they don't know how to deal with 
feelings. How, well, yeah, and they don't know how to filter Flesh things. Flesh that out. <laughs> That's true. Well, you, well, what it, it's that, you know, you and I, we remember a rotary telephone, a typewriter, all this shit that existed before yeah. the internet. Yeah. Millennials don't remember any they of that. They have no idea. They grew up in the digital age, so they don't... They don't remember life before Facebook. Yeah, they don't know how to turn that shit off. And it, Everything as, is readily accessible right. and they expect it to be. And I don't... Th- I think millennials are really going to feel the brunt of that because of that media saturation, that information saturation. And I think it's going to take a whole generation. I think it's going to be like my kid or your kids who are a little younger now. They're going to be the ones who are going to have to figure out how to use these technologies in a more healthy, productive way. Yeah. Um, And it's probably going to be very different than the way we use social media today. What was the... Oh, it was the slogan in the 60s, the tune-in, turn-out... What is it? Oh, uh... Tune in. Wow, now I'm forgetting. You know what I'm talking someone's, about? Yeah, yeah. Somebody write Timothy that down. Timothy Leary, right? Yeah, and like Timothy. the LSD culture. Um, someone's going to tell us. I, Come I'm on, someone on right Facebook. Man, Timothy we brought up Leary. Frank Zappa on the last show, and now, now we're talking Timothy about Leary. Tim Leary. Well, I bring it up because I feel like... Tune in, drop out. There you go. Tune. I feel like it's a new version of that. They're so able to tune in to everything that now they've dropped out of paying attention to anything. Interesting fact. Do you know who guarded Timothy Leary's LSD lab? Oh, God, no. Who? <laughs> Michael Murphy. Savage, as in, like, the conservative Wait, radio host. Yeah, look, look it up. <laughs> really? Yeah, he he lived, like, a wild life in California and, you know, has has a... Also has a doctorate in botany and, and alternative medicine. He and then he became it. He yeah, was, like, as he, in physical security for it? Yeah, he, he did some type of security work there at the LSD lab. You, go, you could look it up because well, I've looked this that up That might before. explain so much. And then he became so this, you know, very right-wing radio host. But unlike most of them, has just a really bizarre background. Um, well, you know, the, the new counterculture is to turn it all off. Yeah. Right? It's to go, to go, it's to go native. Off the grid. Right. Completely. And, uh, like, I, I started over, you know, maybe, like, the last six months, I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons with my daughter. I love, I know you love, I love it's all seeing pen- the pictures. It's all pencil it. and paper and everything, and you're just sitting there playing this. It's, it's basically a, a, um, a, a high-speed board game. That's really what it I'm is. I'm just worried for you that Stranger Things is going to start happening. I know. Me, world. too. Um, but I was reading this article about it. I think it was in The New Yorker, actually, and, and it was saying that D&D is, like, actually getting, like, really popular and taken off with a lot of people because it's, like, seen as this counterculture thing. Like, turn your cell phone off, throw that in a and bag, yeah. and sit down and actually do this kind of thing that's, like, you know, just, like, old school. I mean, yeah. my kids... My kids play Trivial Pursuit and Yahtzee <laughs> for the break, but hey. I enjoy, every now night. and again, I'll play um, Scrabble with my parents because they live one town over. Like, yeah, I agree. It's nice to turn all this crap off sometimes as we're on Facebook Live and Twitch and YouTube, as I'm saying. This. I don't know what but, you're talking about. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, just to just to uh, fact check myself here. I mean, this is Wikipedia, but you can look it up further. Um, yeah, Michael Savage worked for the famous psychedelic drug advocate Timothy Leary as oh keeper of the Stone Gatehouse, <laughs> keeper the, of the Stone on the Hitchcock Cattle Company estate in Millbrook, New York, oh, to which Leary had been given great. access. Leary hired him to the post because Savage did not use LSD himself. Right, so that's interesting. Very out there fact, but just throwing it out there. Um, we will take, by the way, questions for any of you guys. If you have any DIA no type one cares. questions, oh no, we're getting a, we're getting a ton of questions. I do want to throw a really? quick. I, I yes, throw, absolutely. Real quick before we take one question. We're well, I was gonna about, I was gonna mention the gear review stuff before we get into questions. Well, I it's gonna it's end. gonna turn into this. All right, let's do it. 
I said I was playing the games with my kids, was going to break out some card games, but the only cards that I had at the time were the recent Crate Club. Like, <laughs> oh, with the girls. With the girls and the guns, which is fine. My sons are 8 and 11, and my 8-year-old is inappropriately attached to boobs at this point. Like, he has a thing, so. I, I have like, a I thing, too. Yeah. I was like, I don't know if I need to. So... I, every time I get a crate, my husband takes something out of it because it comes to the house in Ohio before I get it. <laughs> and I get a text the other day with a picture of the, the cars. He's like, these are mine. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> you can have them. He stole so, that and the bottle breacher out of this one. So, yeah, if you have questions, shoot them over, and we'll take them in just a little bit. We really do appreciate you guys tuning in, and we do like to be interactive. But... Yeah, you've been doing some gear reviews from a female perspective for the loadout room, which I know yep. Scott Whitner's uh, watching right now. Hey, Scott. Um, but yeah, it's, it's. I think people are interested in seeing that because I know Crate Club. We it is geared towards men, but there are females like yourself who are into. And, and we should mention culture. that too. The marketing is we, straight geared towards we, men. Right. We now. don't. We don't mention it enough that um, the loadout room is a, another website yes. we run that is all gear and guns. Yeah, check it's it out. Great. Loadoutroom.com. Yeah, so long before I was, you know, I said that in my gear review, before I was here as part of the soft rep team, I was a Crate Club member. I, I love my stuff because I, I love gear. Again, Tom always steals something out of it every single time. I'm, you didn't get this. I don't know what you're talking about. I gave the Wait. slide belt to my uh, stepfather for Christmas. He loves that thing. I love it, too. Yeah. Although it's, um, it's a little bulky. For the, they need a girl version of that one. See, this is with a smaller buckle. So Scott and I talked about there are plenty of women who tune into soft rep radio, who read loadout, who do this, and either they like the gear or they want to buy the gear for the men in their life, their dad, their husband, you know, their kids, whatever. And so it's nice to get that female perspective. So I just did my first gear review of the latest. I think it was the Pro Crate. Scott, you can you can write in there. It was the Procrate, I think. And um, look, I'm wearing one of them today. Got my neck knife on. And yeah. what she showed us, for some reason, someone was... Uh, I have a stalker. No, you were... I, well, I was oh. going to mention that someone, I guess, at the site was uptight about you posting that in a sports bra, which I thought was kind of cool. But. I did have... So so that's kind of the interesting thing about the female perspective. <laughs> so Jack, what, a couple weeks ago, you posted a picture for us, just the, the team. I love, look, I got my neck knife. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love that little guy. It's great right you know what uh, something like that or either around the neck or on the belt down here because it, you know if you get into a into a fight with somebody and a lot more people have bjj training these days than in the past and the first thing they're going to try to do is go for a submission hold and if somebody does sink that hold in there pretty tight around your neck that just comes out and you just start tearing right through that flesh. Yep, you do. You have to be willing. That was one of the questions I got on my review is, I don't know how comfortable I would feel using a knife. It is, it's a different mentality than using a gun. You, you still feel separated if you have. It's what, uh, if you read that book on killing, he calls killing at the sexual range. When you're right on top of the person. So, wait a minute. So, I'm, I'm pulling like out it. my other at the sexual range <laughs> toy I got from... At the sexual range toy. The sexual range toy. <laughs> no, hold on, hold on. This is a family show, Danielle. Is it really? Is it, is it really, Jack? So, this was the other thing that... One of the other ones I reviewed, and that was our, our custom-made... That thing is badass. Yeah. Wait, what are we calling it? So, I just... I call it my pen of death, but it's... it's we actually had That's, a name um, for it. You know, Jim West would love something like this, uh... Because he's all about the, the Delta Dart. 
he loves these things because they're legal yeah. too. I mean, they're street legal wherever you go. So it's a real pen. You can unscrew the top and it's a real pen, right? But then this end is made out of tungsten and you can break that glass with it. You can pierce metal and a little inner This isn't the Mandalay Hotel, Danielle. Take it easy, all right? All right, come People on People can't see it on cam, but actually above Danielle, we have the poster for 100 Deadly Skills which basically describes what you can do with that pen. Whacking somebody. If you've yeah. seen John Wick, of, you know how to kill people with oh, I was going to say it reminds me of the scene in Casino. Yes, I, well, that's what I said. Casino or John Wick, then you know this can pierce a jugular or somebody's inner thigh pretty with uh, hand. Like, you hold it like this, put it right into their neck. See, Jack's practicing. Just don't do it to me. But yeah, so so I'm trying to do some gear reviews from from a female perspective. Like going back to let's talk about boobs again. But I mean, <laughs> that's something you guys don't have to think about. It's great to have I'm this neck knife. About but I actually <laughs> feel like I could use a little support. God. Well, you can't put the knife in between the girls because then you can't pull it out <laughs> under your shirt. And so it's yeah, there were some issues. I had to talk about that. Ways to layer the clothes so you could still be deadly. Makes sense. It does. On a day like today where you're wearing, like, a hoodie, though, and all Doesn't that. Doesn't matter. Not that, yeah, I was going to say the same thing with the survival belts. Like, in an outfit like that, I don't, you know, when you said it's bulky, it's not really, because I've worn it. It's, uh, you know, on with an outfit like that, I think you could rock it. Yeah. If you were out, like, at a bar dressed up, absolutely not. But, then I'd be yeah. wearing my tactical 511s. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and my survival belt. And Shot show is coming, Danielle. No, it's not coming. for me, Jack. It's not coming for me. So Business uh, business tactical is the dress code out so there. So what are you wearing? I'm curious. We'll do a little fashion on soft wrap. Um, Who are you wearing? Cargo, <laughs> cargo you wearing? pants, Gerber knife clipped on in the pocket. <laughs> I, I haven't decided if I'm going to wear Merrell's or Solomon boots. Hey, now. Got my Merrell's on right now. Probably nice. a collared shirt from uh, from Columbia. Did you borrow that from a Marine? Uh, <laughs> ball cap, American flag ball cap, name tape on the uh, on the back. Nice. And, and you're joking though, because you you wear the same thing you wear every day, right? Like, which is I dress like a bum. But ninety percent of the people at shot will be in that outfit. Well, some of our audience would, would say you dress like a hipster. Apparently, I, I don't know where the, where the hipster <laughs> thing comes from, though. I guess it's because you had the glasses on. Maybe you need Chuck Taylor's. To you be know, it, you know where these classes came from. The I have Army? no idea. Mother Army. I was going to say, are those BCG? They're not BCGs. They're, they're, these were the alternatives uh, to the BCGs when the Army finally decided, okay, we're going to issue Wait. the troops with some non-BCGs. So, how old is that prescription? Uh, eight years. <laughs> so, can you actually see? Yeah, yeah. Okay. No, it's about the. I've been wearing glasses or contacts since I was like twelve years old. Okay. So my eyes are kind of like where they're at. You know, they're not going to change that right. much. At least I hope not. I, as a writer, I'd be really fucked. <laughs> I remember one year at Shot Show, I was the only person wearing Jordans, and I was like, "This is definitely not how people dress in New York." But it is what it is. I'm, I'm going to wear the same shit that I'm wearing today. I'm wearing a, a Muir hoodie. But then, then you have you also have to ask yourself the question: Is it does it become a thing where it is like the the informal dress code for the show, where like people feel obligated to dress like that to fit the part? Yeah. Or do they really dress like that year round? Terry yeah. Shepard, I remember like like being always the rebel was wearing some you know regular. He's wearing like sweater. a sweater, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I think it's cool to also not give a fuck uh, personally. But anyway, so getting into the questions that people have. There's a ton of them on YouTube, on Twitch, on Facebook, so I'll get to what I can here um, and shoot them out, and we'll get to what we can. Uh, George Macaria on YouTube asks, how good is North Korean intelligence? 
Oh, George, uh, they are as good as the Chinese allow them to be. <laughs> um, and not to skirt the question, they have an intelligence arm. Um, they do have some decent skills. Actually, in cyber, they're pretty good, believe it or not. But they've, again, they've gained that skill from help the Chinese and, and the Russians. Mentored so, them. Yeah, I mean, they're nowhere near as good as, as any of the other major countries, but they are so supported by those two major players and the Iranians, for that matter, that uh, they're formidable enough. Back in the old days, they really did send, like, terror cells south. Yeah. Like, I'm talking, like, 1960s. But they just stayed like, on Peninsula. Yes, on Peninsula, like, wipe out villages and shit. Yeah. So thank God we're not seeing stuff like that anymore. Or do you have any familiarity with the, these uh, really odd cases where the um, North Koreans were kidnapping Japanese girls? Yes, I do. What the, what the fuck? That's all I can say about that. It, it really was just a bringing some hot new chicks across. For Dear Leader? Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was that. Really? It, so yeah. it wasn't? There were some ransom cases. There were, it was ways to make money. There were some. So it wasn't about, like, training their spies about Japanese culture. It was really just some about. Some of that, but there was a side side project for yeah. that, which was uh, for Dear Leader. But, yes, they do. I mean, and you see them try to pose as Japanese quite a bit. Um, Aren't a lot of the Yakuza ethnically Korean? I'm not sure about that. That would be a question for one of our friends. Yeah, I think I've, I think we've the talked Odyssean about it before. Yeah. yeah, the Odyssean would know for sure. Um, but you you were saying how you know you're the only female on staff here, but I love uh, it. a regular and I believe who wrote an article for us, Cheyenne Martin. Cheyenne, Did she have, she, she Hi, wrote Cheyenne. an article for us. I think she wrote something. I could be wrong. She might have submitted something. I could be off on this, but anyway, she's watching as she often does. Uh, do you have any tips on learning a difficult language, especially Chinese? Is it better to dabble in one dialect or to be familiar with several, if possible, yeah. like really Shanghai, Beijing, etc.? Really good question, Cheyenne. So Chinese dialects are, they might as well be different languages altogether. So speaking a Shanghai dialect versus Cantonese versus Mandarin, the written language is the same, but the spoken is completely different. So in that sense, to answer your specific question, it'd be better to just focus on one um, get the written down and then go to the next one because you'd be learning two completely different languages at the same time. The intonation is totally different. Mandarin, for example, only has four tones. Cantonese has nine. Fukunese has 13. So a Cantonese, that's why I was talking about earlier, they use it as encryption. Because if you, right. we may have translators, FBI may have a Mandarin translator on the phone, but if they don't speak Cantonese and these guys flip to Cantonese on surveillance, then you're going to have to wait to play the tapes back later so right. in real time. So you'd have to have several dialects. So we have seen the Chinese do that, like switch to several. I had a, a friend in the Philippines telling me about the difference between like the Chinese mentality and just the sort of like layers of culture that we don't even see. And he was telling me like, you know, one of my Chinese friends, he's a Chinese businessman, was telling him how he's like, you know, you guys, uh, you need like analyst notebook to do like all these link chart analysis mm. and stuff like that. He's like, we do that genetically. Yeah, they like, do. We just see that. It's the Guanxi angle, like, like that whole, cause they network for, it's part of for their generations. DNA. Yeah. It's just part of the DNA. But one other thing to Cheyenne's question, as far as a difficult, Chinese is actually one of the easier languages to learn grammatically than some of the romance languages because you don't have to conjugate anything. Oh, I see. Now, 
Um, if you have a musical ear, it's much easier because it's a tonal language. So you do have a lot to remember, but you don't conjugate anything. There's no male, female. Like you don't, you don't need a word for cup. Like, oh, is my cup a male or female? The car. So that makes it much easier. It's very specific. But really, find a native and just do immersion training. That's the best way with with those kinds of languages. You just because there's no rhyme or reason. There's too many exceptions to rules. and uh, To get the... <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop for a minute. Something that pisses me off all the time. The current president of China's name is Xi Jinping. It's not Xi, it's not Xi, it's not... You will hear commentators in America hear someone say Xi, 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 Xi all the time, and then they'll turn right around and go, Xi Jinping. No, it's not. So spend time with somebody who is, is a native speaker so that you just learn to pick up the way things are said. Yeah, that, that X-I, right? Yeah. It's a she. It's she. I mean, it could be she, 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 she. I mean, there's different, there's the tones, but it, it's she, like we would say S-H-E. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, but see, go back to what we were talking about. You wouldn't see that in Cantonese because that X-I, that's, mm-hmm. that's a very specific. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a very specific transliteration of, of the way that. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, it's this... one of the ways we could find out who was on the Intel side, the way things were written. Certain transliteration you'd only see in Taiwan. Some transliteration you'd only see from the PRC. So oh, false flag operations were easier to find for a while. But right, then they right. learned. They because learned. they're goofing it up. Yeah, they learned. <laughs> so my memory did serve me correct. Cheyenne wrote an op-ed when Elliot Abrams came to Georgetown, um, and Frumentarius uploaded it. So oh, Cheyenne okay. did write. A, I knew that she wrote a piece. Um, this is a good. This is a good question for you, Jack. Uh, were there Uh-oh. any tier one operations that happened in the DPRK and how do Green Berets get into debt K? Uh, well, the answer to the first question is no. No one's going across the DMZ. Um, you'll hear stories and rumors and all kinds of bullshit. It's, that, it's bullshit. There's, there's no fucking guys doing halo ops into North Korea. There's no seals coming up on shore because I mean, they would just, it just wouldn't work. It's a non-permissible environment. It's a denied environment. Um, special forces detachment K. Um, it's just a question of, uh, their green berets. They are assigned to first special forces group and debt K is, there are other, um, ODAs, both from first group and some of the National Guard groups who are going into South Korea for exercises and to help out and things like that. But Det K is the resident team that stays there. Um, to get in there and do a tour there, do two years or whatever, and, and some guys fall in love with that job and they come back and they do a second and a third and they just want to stay there. Um, it's just something you'll have to request. Um, I think they're looking for mostly senior E7s, senior NCOs, um, to be able to work in a sort of independent environment. Yeah. And their job is to go and liaison with, um, with South Korean special forces. And how good their, that relationship is is really dependent up to that individual. And, he, you know, the guys have told me there's like some dudes, they're not very good. <laughs> if they're not good at your job, you're going to be playing cards with the privates in the motor pool. Mm-hmm. If you're good at your job, you're going to be in the office right next to the general. Um, so it's really all about maintaining those relationships and the reason why detachment k exists today um because the army has wanted to get rid of it a couple times um is because south korean special forces said no we want our green berets here with us they love you guys yeah so they they were they um you know that that partnership and that relationship is so critical and the guys who have come through debt k 
year after year after year, they've really built something special there. And I think it um, sets a great example for what special forces can accomplish with persistent long-term engagements. And, you know, I think that's that's a sort of program that I'd encourage any, you know, young special forces guy to take an interest in. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an example that we should stand up in other countries. Like, for example, in the Philippines, that's a place where we should have a resident team. I just wanted to ask you, sir, you're saying that my screenplay for the Halo Ops with Debt K should probably stand down. (laughs) I mean, if if war pops off, things are going to start moving, right? Um, If you read... uh, Dalton Fury's novel, he has a, a joint Delta SEAL Team 6 operation where they go into North Korea. And I mean, it's well, it's well written. It's a cool book, you know. Okay. In which I should say, uh, rest in peace, right? Yeah, he passed away, uh, Tom Greer, um, from cancer. Way too young, mm-hmm. really. He was um, the Delta Force commander who uh, led the operation going after bin Laden right oh, after wow. 9-11. And then became a fiction writer. And then, yeah, he wrote a book about that called Kill Bin Laden, and then he wrote a whole series of novels that are really, really good. Your next book should be about Dead K. Well, Dead K out. Well, his next book's the memoir. Well, no, I mean his next fiction. The yeah. next the next novel, it's, it's like a third of the way written. It's, it's about vigilante stuff in the United States. Oh, <laughs> all right. I'm ready for that one. So, uh, all right, questions. George Macaria, what missions are assigned to DIA and which ones go to the CIA? Well, George, I would tell you, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> Where's George? Um, ooh, that's a tough one. CIA is not authorized to operate inside the United States. Let's just put that out there for now. That's FBI. But they do with waivers. and. I'm not answering that, Jack. That's <laughs> on you. You can say that if you want. But, but no, so that that's part of it. So not to make it too simplified but DIA is just that the defense intelligence agency so wherever there is a US military mission DIA would also have jurisdiction and a mission there CIA is its own foreign intelligence collection capability so in other words they're supposed to operate outside the United States FBI has jurisdiction for anything that happens inside and you you can go down that road if you want well, to I about mean, well here, here's a just an interesting thing that people freak out and they say well the CIA doesn't work in, in the United States for the United for the CIA to try to recruit a foreign citizen so let's say a, a guy who works for a ministry in Iran or something mm-hmm. comes to the United States it is totally legal for the CIA to try to recruit that guy. Yes. So in that sense, in they that do. Sense, they do blur the lines. But, um, George, we, DIA has a counterintelligence and a positive collection for an intelligence mission, both. CIA is, they have both, but their CI presence is really small. It's really more of like an internal, internal affairs division, if anything else. So DIA does both, where CIA and FBI sort of split the the mission on the other two. I don't um, know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, no, I think it does. The, this question, I have no idea what this guy is referring to, Uh-oh. so hopefully you guys could fill me in if this, uh, if you have any knowledge of it, um, and at least fill in the audience. Um, Daniel Daniel Rodriguez, uh, what's Jack and your guest, Danielle's thoughts on the Happy Few Symphony Ordinance controversy? Cheers. I have no idea what that is in reference to. Is that a symphony in, in Korea or something? I have no idea. Oh, you right, Daniel. You'll, yeah, you'll have to fill us in. Um, Daniel, what is that? And yeah. should I be the Happy Few Symphony Ordinance? <laughs> well, there's an interesting, and I know this because I took a class in East Asian music when oh, I was in Lord. college. 
their uh, classical music is actually really being maintained as at, at like a symphony level by the by Asians and Asian nations. Western classical. Western classical okay. music, yeah, because they're they're make, they make a bigger investment in symphonies and orchestras and things like that. And they're kind of keeping. That, I could see that. They're, yeah, they're keeping it alive. I could see that. Well. Because um, we hate ourselves again in the West. Remember, we got to get rid of that. Yeah, it's it, white men wrote that music. Yes, has to be done away with. Scott Whitner, you know, jumped oh, no. in here and said that the loadout room responded to the false ballistic missile alert with a preparedness article. Uh, so check that out, loadoutroom.com. Uh, and he says if this doesn't make the sheep will think about that, then we are doomed when something does happen. Um, let's see. And says, hey, girl. That was for Jack. Um, <laughs> Robert why, uh, is watching. I'm considering in uh, Robert Shai uh, If I, I have no idea to pronounce your name, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm considering enlisting in the army as a 35M uh, human collector. Am I saying that correctly? H U M I N T. With a wanting to eventually work for the CIA. Any advice on going from intelligence in the service to the CIA? Talk to your friendly neighborhood recruiter. Yeah, it's um, equally fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) That would be the best. But I mean, as far as like, there's no like, um, there's no no mysticism about Mm -mm. applying for the CIA. I mean, you go talk to a recruiter and, you know, you go through that process. Yeah, they always have different needs at different times. It's um, not to, and I'm not even trying to be vague. They, They really just do. And the only mysticism is that you don't know if you're on the outside right, what that right. is. So you may be super qualified, and they just don't have the right need at the moment for you. So don't uh, don't get upset. But um, I will tell you this: sometimes they prefer no background, though. Sometimes they like people green so they can teach them the way they want them. Oh, uh, I gotcha. Um, but again, that goes to whatever their needs are at the time. Language skills are always a plus. Uh, you know, keep your Keep your profile clean. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll get one more in here because I'm going to wrap up in a little bit because we actually have to do the Power of Thought, which is uh, hosted by Brandon Webb. So we'll be live streaming immediately after this. Yeah, I ju- he came through. If you guys noticed me waving to someone like uh, a while back, that no. was Brandon. So he's probably downstairs getting ready, and uh, yeah, we're going to go live with that in half an hour. If, if you guys happen to still be around and want to check that out. Um, going to be talking about overcoming fear and that type of thing. So, uh, And if you're listening to the podcast, check that out on the other channel. Look up The Power of Thought on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, good question for Jack, and we'll make this the last one from Awareness with Chris. Uh, can Jack speak to the CIF SF companies? The, the CIF companies. That's what he had. The commanders in extremist force. There are companies within each special forces group that are tasked with a counterterrorism mission. Um, I've written a little bit about them. There's some stuff that I, I can't really comment on, um, but you know they are a little uh, company within each group that focuses on direct action, and um, they're prepared to do uh, you know counterterrorism missions, and they have done them overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan quite a bit. Um, not sure what else uh, to go into really there. Yeah. So that's it. You know, um, if you want to, if you want a little bit of additional information, um, 
there's an article. Again, the paywall's down, so you can go read it. It's Everything. called... Uh, and people are asking, is the paywall down for good? Yes, yeah. it is, as it, far as we know. The, the article, I believe it's called um, Direct Action Training on, on Fort Bragg or something of that nature. And it's a whole article about the history of Sephardic, which is uh, the course on Fort Bragg that teaches... Mm-hmm. SF guys, those direct action skills, the, the counterterrorism mission. And that'll give you a little bit, you'll read that and you'll come to understand, I think, a little bit about what that mission is about. Okay. Well, the paywall being down is a good transition for this. Um, you know, people are asking, how can we support you guys if the paywall is down? Um, luckily, there's other revenue streams and things that we're doing, and I'll let you know about them. As a reminder, for all of those who are listening and watching on Facebook Live, on YouTube, on Twitch, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to SoftRep TV, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. SoftRep TV's premier show, Training Cell, follows former Special Operations Forces, as they participate in the most advanced training in the country, everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch all of this content by subscribing to SoftRep TV. It's at softreptv.us. We still have our limited time offer up, which is 50% off your membership. It's only $4.99 a month. And also, if you haven't gotten a chance to subscribe to the SoftRep Crate Club, which we were just talking about and showing some of the gear, you're definitely going to want to do that ASAP. It's a subscription to get a box of badass tactical and survival gear delivered to your door every month. Here's the kicker. All of the gear is handpicked and tested by former special ops guys, so you know you're going to get quality gear that's going to work when you need it to. Crates we've sent in the past have included gear like custom knives, and you're showing that one, uh, multi-tools, fire starters, EDC med kits, and other kick-ass stuff. You don't just get great gear with your subscription. You're also supporting a veteran-owned and run company. To subscribe and start getting your gear, visit crateclub.us. We also have gift options available. That's crateclub.us. And if you've been a team room member for the past year, if you've been a premium Crate Club member, we're going to be in Las Vegas. I mean, the RSVP is done with, but for those of you who are going to be there, January 22nd, 6 p.m., it's right around the corner. I'll be there. You'll be there. I'll be there. Unfortunately, uh, you will yeah. not be there. Yeah. Just uh, keep rubbing salt in the wood. <laughs> we'll we'll, we'll drag Danielle there next year, and uh, you're probably going to be so burned out uh, after that. But once is good. It, it, shot Show's a lot of, I mean, I, I think I've said this before. I mean, Shot Show is exhausting. And uh, I'm just so burned out on the show itself, yeah. but it's worth going to, at least for me, because I see so many people I know and friends and old teammates, you know. Uh, I so I mean, go and run some collection ops. It's incredible. Well you're, well, you're not the only one doing that. There, uh, right? Yeah, we, we saw that article. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it's good to see a lot of old friends and, you know, that's what really makes it worth going back there for. Well, you know what's worth it for me? I've already made plans to do Kiss Mini Golf with the Odyssean. So that's pretty damn cool. <laughs> really? Yeah. We, we, Kiss is in as Kiss in Army. Gene Simmons, Paul Stanley, yeah. Well, <laughs> I can touch the, my nose to my tongue. Just the like. Odyssean and I are uh, shameless, like, 80s hair metal enthusiasts. So we were like, there's a Kiss Mini Golf? My sister Let's was a member this. of the Kiss Army, so I grew up listening to that. Can you really be a member of the Kiss Army, though? Yes. 
You got well. Have you guys ever seen that article? It wasn't the Onion. It was like an Onion-like site, and oh, it was no. it was Gene Simmons accepts uh, transgender members to the Kiss Army. <laughs> that was a really funny. I'm I'll, pretty sure I'll they were up. already a huge part of the Kiss yeah, Army. Yeah, I'll, I'll find it. It was such a funny article, and if you guys want to see it, um, I expect pictures. Just black out the Odysseans' face, I'm like, or get him to wear some Kiss makeup, and then we won't know. Is this, uh, this might have been a different one, because this one, no, this is it. Yeah, uh, oh, Gene God. Simmons signs ban on transgender soldiers <laughs> serving in the Kiss Army. <laughs> and then it's got a picture with him, like it's a real, you know, signature. Oh, my God. And, and uh, I love the quotes He was here. on Wilkow not long ago. Yeah, dude, I, I'd love to have him on the power, I thought, actually. Um, yeah, he says, our army must be focused on rocking and rolling all night and partying every day, Simmons said. We can no longer be burdened by the tremendous costs of transgender <laughs> members of the Kiss Army. Our makeup budget is through the roof as it is. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. That's fantastic. Yeah, so that's on thehardtimes.net. I'm not really familiar, but I just thought that was a hilarious headline. Um, all right, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, I think I'm hosting Q&A this Sunday. That's for, for Team Remembers cool. only. So. Yeah, for Team Remembers. So if you have gear that you want to re- have reviewed from a girl's perspective, let me know. So Good it's point. crazy to think that we will not be doing a live show on Tuesday because we'll be, we'll at, be shot. at shot. So I w- I'm purposely coming back from shot on Tuesday so that I can get an episode up. So I'm going to have like a recap shot show. That's why I'm only going for three days because... If there's no episode up, Brandon Webb will be like, what the fuck is going on here? So, yeah, I'm going to put up a recap of SHOT Show, get some interviews with all the guys who are going to be in the house, the guys who are going to be there, people at the team room party. And then Thursday, I'm excited for Cody Wilson, who's, you know, real innovator in the 3D printing industry. Cool. Yeah, that's going to be interesting, talking that's about cool. 3D printing guns. Isn't he like a Sweet. self-described anarcho-capitalist? Or? I, I, I don't oh, want to put words one. in the gentleman's mouth, but uh, I, I suspect there's something like that going on. We'll, get, th- we'll talk to him he, about it. I think it. he describes himself as that. So I think I've decided I'm going to go out to shot on my own and run surveillance on these guys and see if they know. Well, it's like yeah. that video that uh, that James made of me last year when I was drunk off my ass. That video is pretty funny. Walking, bebopping. You were having a good time. I had a great time. <laughs> have another good time. You guys both have fun. I want pictures from Kiss Golf. That's oh yeah, all right. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's like glow in the dark Kiss Mini Golf. I was looking it up on Yelp. Oh my god. Uh, I'm very excited for my mandate with the Odyssean. <laughs> so yeah, we appreciate you guys checking. Do some us out, beard docking. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, the beards at oh at Soft Rep Radio on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and if you're not doing anything in the next uh, the body minutes, hair, the body hair just sticks together like Velcro. <laughs> oh my God! If you're if you're uh, yeah not doing anything in the next fifteen or so minutes, and you're watching the live stream, check out the Power of Thought, which will be on Brandon's page and on the Soft Rep TV YouTube, on Twitch, on all that stuff. Make and, sure you guys uh, come over to the Facebook author page. And oh yeah, chat I got plug. Up. I didn't plug all that. So chat me up. I will throw out there. You could follow Danielle on Facebook. It's at C D B Z A author. I'll spell that out. C D B I Z I E R author. Crazy and, French name. And I see you also have a new Twitter. So at Daisy Bees because I saw you plugged it on on Soft Rep so yeah. on your author page. So I didn't Twitter, know you have Twitter. You just started I have it, the right? Twitter. No, the Twitter. I just haven't really used it. Well, start using it. I'm going to start gonna using it. it. It's at Daisy B E Z. So at Daisy Bees plug. Uh, I'm saying plug. 
follow Danielle. I'm and they plugging. can find that on the Facebook page, but you know, and, and on I, soft rep on I on do your the Instagram, page. all that good stuff. Go th- throw that out there too. Yeah, but the the cool ones are the where my feet are, which I need to do my. Which is tra- at traveling toes. Yeah, right? traveling toes. I've just been too many places with nobody to take pictures of me, and I didn't want to do the selfies, so I just started doing the feet. And it works. So. Cool. I'm all gonna right. start harassing you on the Twitter. Yeah. All right, troll. I hate Twitter so much. Can't even begin to tell you. Troll. <laughs> All right. All right, Thanks, we'll guys. see you guys later. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.